Yeah, Didi, when you're ready, you can put the stuff on there. All right, good evening, everyone. It's, uh, it's, good to, it's good to have all of you here. We've got the, we've got the slide there. Yeah, I'm, um, I just want to give you a bit of context. Firstly, my name's Leonard. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the elders here. I just want to give you a bit of context for what we're speaking about tonight, because it's a little bit of a different night. Uh, so in the first service, Henry spoke about how not to judge. And then in this service, I'm cr- scr- scratching out the knot and saying how to judge. How do we actually judge rightly? I don't know why you're excited about judging others. <laughs> Judgmental people. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I know we've, we've prayed a lot. But actually, actually, I just want to pray one last time before we, before we carry on. Because actually, if we understand this topic rightly... Just thinking worship, a while ago I preached the message spontaneously. During worship I was reminded of something that God did in my life, how He brought me out of an area of sin and it was walked through in the life of the church and it's actually people that walked with me and that spoke into my life and that gave me support and uh, they were the people that were put around me and actually brought me to a place of health. And I said that it sounds so bad when you say this, but I believe that the church saved my life. And I feel like this is a similar message. If we understand this correctly, if we understand the responsibility that we have one to another, then we will take this seriously and know that we are there to help one another run until the end. Actually, your destiny in God, you walking with God till the end of your days, you fulfilling what God has called you to in your life, it doesn't only depend on you, it depends on the people sitting around you. It actually does depend on them. And so we're going to put both online. I'm actually bummed. I see there's a lot of people not here. I was thinking I will, um, I'll put a message, uh, just a message on our Staley's PM WhatsApp groups, especially to the students, to say that, you know what, actually, actually, you should not, not, you should not, not be here. <laughs> you should be here, even if you have exams, even if you're writing tomorrow. Man, it's the fellowship of the saints. It's one day in the week that we get to come together to celebrate what God has done to be equipped to, for God to build into us. Actually, you know what? There's going to be many pressures of, in your life. Exams, are not, it's not the only pressure. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here. I'll maybe put something together and send it out to the students because my worry is that when pressure comes, we sort of fold. And honestly, we shouldn't be that. This is an important message. I really actually, I don't know how it's going to go. I might preach a lemon and then it's bad. But, <laughs> but I do feel in my heart that it's an important message for us to know that we are called to be the people around us, to be their keepers in a sense, to be those that help one another run until the end and become holy and be a better bride for Jesus for the day that he comes back. So we'll post it online, but it's not the same listening online as being in person. eh? It's not the same. You better say amen to that. It's not the same. (laughs) You can open up YouTube and you can get millions of sermons, but God has added you to a body. He's added you to a body. He's added you to people that love you, that are there for you, that know your struggles, that will see you. They don't just speak over YouTube, but that see you, that look into your life and know who you are and can speak to a person. It's not the same. Listening online is not the same. Going onto YouTube and just watching what you want is not the same. If God has added you here, then you give yourself here. Then you say, this is where God has planted me. The Bible teaches us that we are planted, we are, we are um, added to a church. And so that is a prayer that you need to pray. And when you are at it, you give yourself completely because then it's God's doing. Uh, you know, you're following me, eh? I'm saying that out of a lot of love. And I, I'm not even rebuking you guys because you all here. <laughs> but uh, let's just make sure that we're not following God's, God on our terms. 
but that we're willing to even sacrifice when it's difficult. I'm not saying fail your exams. I'm saying 50% is okay. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm saying study harder other times. Go for less coffees. Sacrifice in other ways. Wake up 15 minutes earlier every day so that you can study. Make those sacrifices so that we can be devoted to the body of Christ as well. The Bible teaches us do not neglect the gathering of the saints. And this is the gathering of the saints. We are not to neglect it, okay? This is not to push for numbers. We, not, we don't care about numbers. We're building church. We want to build a healthy church. But that consists out of healthy individuals who give themselves and who are devoted, even when it costs them something, okay? So let me pray. God, thank you that you've given us uh, people around us, Lord. You've given us the church. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a church that truly loves one another, not only in word, but in deed. I pray that we would not only be attendees when we come to church, that we would not only sit in here for what we can get out of it, but that you would grip our hearts for the people sitting around us, that you would make us aware of the fact that you had made a spiritual family and that we will love one another, even when it's difficult to love one another and be there for one another and even speak into one another's lives when it's necessary. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So I remember becoming a Christian. I don't know who of you remember when you got saved. Some of you won't have a specific date. That's okay as well. But uh, who, who got saved in the last year? Let's just see. The last... Hey. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, who doesn't know? <laughs> There's a couple of you. My wife would be like somewhere in my life. I, I got to know Jesus. That's okay as well. Uh, but who was in the last five years, maybe, that you came to know Jesus? <laughs> All right. The last, uh, the last 10 years? <laughs> All right. A lot of people. The last 15 years? Let's see, I'm probably, I don't know, we're in 2007. I'm not sure. <laughs> Some people more than 20 years ago. I think we have a couple of people here as well. Oh, yeah, you guys are older than 20. <laughs> So I remember, you know, we, we sort of forget, if you've been serving God for a long time, you, you sort of can quickly forget the life that you came out of and the way that you were. Now, some of us weren't bad people, but all of us had kacha in our hearts that God has fixed and that God has brought us into a place of wholeness. And, and that is one of the things. When you become a Christian, yes, God changes your heart. Yes, He brings salvation in your heart. But also, that starts to flow over in your actions and in the way that you live. And you start to become a new person, a, a different person, actually. But we tend to forget. The longer we walk with God, we forget all the things that He's, that he's done and that He's made us free of. And as I was preparing this sermon, I actually thought back to when I got saved, which is about, I would say, f uh, 15, 15 or 15, 16 years ago that I gave my life to God. I was 17 years old. Yes, that's how old I am. I... I went to a camp, I got convicted, we were worshiping, and I just, for the first time in my life, I felt the presence of God, His nearness, I felt His love, His conviction, I, I felt God coming really close to me, and I just, I surrendered my life to Him. And at that stage, there were a couple of things that were part of my life that was, it was really not helpful. It was sin, and some of it wasn't even sin, it was just not helpful. I remember, for instance, I, I loved a band called, I won't even say the full name because we're in church, but Polisikar, FPK. I loved listening to them. It was basically the only music that I listened to. I couldn't listen to anything else. And, and I remember just um, that and, and Robbie Vessels. It's like weird. 
weird combination. I know it doesn't make sense, but those were the two, the two that I, I would listen to. <laughs> and I just remember knowing like I know that I had to lay that down when I got saved. No one told me, no one preached at me. I just knew that this was not from God. I can't keep listening. I can't feed my soul with these things. I need to lay it down. But then I remembered a couple of years earlier, and it was actually easy. I laid it down. Well, it wasn't easy, I'll be honest. Um, I, I struggled for a while. I had to delete the music off of my phone. It was just, I knew it was what God wanted from me to follow him. No one asked me. I just knew it. And it, it was a difficult thing for me to do. Uh, laying down like the pursuit of girls all the time, that was a difficult thing for me to do. Uh, wanting to live for money, uh, that was a difficult thing to lay down. Wanting to drink and, and get drunk, those were all part of my old, the old ways of my life, and I had to lay those things down, and they were quite difficult, but I was able to do it because the Spirit of God was now in me, and I was dead to sin, meaning I was actually able to say no to sin. I was a new creation. I had, I had a new master. I had a new way that I wanted to live. My desires had changed. And I was able to slowly but surely go there. Yes, I fell sometimes. I remember getting drunk again about a year, year and a half after that, getting in a car driving. And I was convicted and I, I was able to then stand up and go forward again. I remember slipping into the pursuit of girls again many times, uh, a couple of times, many times. <laughs> I struggled. I really struggled up until when I was 19 years old and I could fully lay that thing down. And still that tussle was there. But I was able to do it because I was dead to sin and alive to Christ. That's what happens. But actually in preparing this, I remember a couple of years before I became a Christian, I had a friend and he was the Dwemenisian. Now those guys are normally the ones you want to avoid, right? <laughs> yes, they're the naughty. Some of you are, are those people, but you, they're the naughty ones. Got expelled from his school, his previous school. He was incredibly clever. Like he didn't have to study and he was always top 10 and he was just such a nice guy. Still is. <laughs> Uh, but he was, yo, he was naughty. He could drink and he could swear and he could, he, he just, he was really a naughty guy. And I remember like um, being with this guy and, and like we used to swear a lot. We used to really have foul language, like very foul language. If I hear people speaking like that now, I would, I would feel like, oh, I can't be around it. It wasn't just a little bit. We would really swear. I was a part of a rough group of friends. And uh, this guy sort of came into our group of friends. Oh, I he was expelled from his school for jump, for, for, jump-starting the tractor <laughs> and leaving his friends with the tractor and it ended up in a ditch at the school and he got expelled and he came to our school and we became friends from there. <laughs> and uh, so, but I remember at some stage, Policicar, they did this thing where at a concert, one of the guys, I don't, I don't think it was Franchoff and Coke, it was the guy called Snake, he was one of the other guys in the band. He, on, on people's wallets, he, um, he wrote F Jesus with the full word, F Jesus. He wrote it on people's wallets when giving signatures. And I wasn't a Christian back then. I wasn't really interested in the faith. I didn't know Christians around me. I th well, at least I thought I was a Christian because I'm not a Muslim, so I must be a Christian. <laughs> so, you know, it's like that in South Africa. But my friend then said, listen, I, we need to stop listening to this music. You need to take your CD. I'm going to break my CD. I'm not going to listen to my CD anymore stop listening to Polisikar. And then I'm like, okay, cool, I'll do it. And, and it lasted for about a month. And I was like, ah, oh, it's not that bad, man. Maybe they're sorry for what they did. And I started listening to it again because it wasn't, it wasn't a hard conviction. It wasn't like God did something in me. I wasn't a Christian. All I was doing is trying to do behavior modification, actually. And many times, and, and here's the contrast. As a Christian, I want to be more like Jesus. 
I don't want those things to be part of my life. Yes, sometimes the desire creeps in. Yes, sometimes I fall. Yes, sometimes I struggle. But actually deep in me, I know that I found the living God. I found living waters. And I do not thirst for other things like I used to. I want to be who God has made me to be. Amen. But for unbelievers, if you do that, if you try and speak into unbelievers' lives, it's like you're doing behavior modification. You're just trying to make them look like a Christian, but that doesn't get you into heaven. Looking like a Christian doesn't get you into heaven. Being a Christian gets you into heaven. Looking like a believer doesn't do anything. It's being a believer that does, anything, that does something. And so there's this contrast that we find where we need to differentiate between unbelievers and believers. But as a believer, I want to say that I want the judgments of people in my life. Now, hear me out. Judgment is a very negative word, and we'll get to it because the Bible defines it negatively and positively. It's like intention as the Bible speaks about it because there are two aspects of it. But I actually want, I desire judgment from people. And that sounds like weird. How does that make sense? Because I want to look more like Jesus. And if you can help me more look, look more like Jesus, then please help me look more like Jesus. But I, I, an unbeliever shouldn't want that. And we should not want that for unbelievers. And I want you to look more like Jesus. And so I'm willing to step into your life and say things that are uncomfortable for, for you because I know that that's going to make you a better reflection of him. But I do not have the right to go into an unbeliever's life and tell them, hey, when you swear, it makes me uncomfortable. Who cares, man? A dog needs to bark. It's what a dog does. <laughs> an unbeliever is going to do what an unbeliever does. You can't try and change it. The only way that that person can change and lasting change, lasting change that actually means something, is if it's a change in the heart that flows over into a change of the actions. It's firstly, it's a work from the inside that leads to an outside change. You can't, an outside change does not lead to an inside change. And we should not be people, and as we come into this message, we are not called to be people who walk around in the world and pronounce judgments on everyone, trying to make the world a better place because we make better people. That's not what we're called to be. But I do believe, and that's why I feel it's so pertinent for us as a church, that if you are part of this church, that we are called to help one another become more like Jesus. It is your calling. If you don't do it, I'm gonna miss out on what God has in my life. If you're not willing to come in and speak to me about areas that do not reflect them, and if I'm not willing to come into your life, then I'm gonna let you miss out. But we need to start by saying, God, I want it. I want it. So I, wanna, I want you to start there and first gain a revelation and say, God, I want it. Here's the scripture just to back what I'm saying. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 12. It says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? It's a rhetoric question. It's like, I have nothing to do with judging outsiders. It doesn't matter. I, try, I can't try and make them Christians. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? So the Bible says to us, within the church, we are called to speak into one another's lives. Can I give it an amen? We have a responsibility to one another to do it. Let's say one of the good examples that I've seen from Andrew is that, um, is that he, when people live with him, and he shares this regularly, every time someone lives with him and they're in, the, in his home, I mean, he's older, he's leading multiple churches across the world, he's doing so much for God, he's an, he's an upstanding guy, but then he would sit them down and before they leave, he would say, what is there in my life that does not reflect Jesus properly? Please speak freely. That takes humility, actually. 
And that takes an understanding of the scripture. Say, God, I need people to speak into my life. And even he told a story a while ago where he sat his daughter down. His daughter is now, I think, 15, 16. I'm not sure. And he said, Enya, what is there in your dad's life that does not properly reflect Jesus? And she said, Mom, sometimes when you speak to dad, it's not the way that I think Jesus would want you to. And he said, my girl, I'm so sorry. And I've been able to learn from that, and we'll get into some of the details. And we should learn from that humility. That's the leader of our church saying that's the example he's setting. He's hungry for it. We should be those same people that say, I'm hungry to receive the good judgment of others. We'll speak about how that makes sense. Amen? You need it. You're not going to like it, but you need it. (laughs) I'm going to read you something. It's quite long, so you must try and follow. Because the reason I'm reading this, just to give you a bit of context, is it's not a scripture. It's something out of a book, sacrilege, eh? reading out of a book and not out of the Bible. I'm going to read you something out of a book. (laughs) The reason I'm reading this is I want to sort of help us understand why it's so difficult for us to speak into one another's lives. Because let's be honest, who does not like telling something, someone something that's uncomfortable for them to hear? Hey? Who does not like conflict? Be honest. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like speaking to you about sin in your life or something that I see that's not reflecting Jesus. Some of you, if you like it, I'm going to pray for you afterwards, man. <laughs> It's not nice. It's not a nice thing, but I want to get into the psyche of us and help us to unpack why we feel like that and actually allow us to work against it to say, even though I don't like it, that does not mean I should not do it. I can do it in the right way, but I have to do it. So as I read this, I want you to imagine, uh, this is spe- I'm going to read you a portion about a historic figure that has shaped your thinking. You don't know it, but this guy shaped your thinking. And I want you to, as I read it, think if you know who I'm speaking about. Okay, don't shout it out. Just you have the answer in your head, and I'll ask afterwards who was right. This is about a a guy. All of you would have heard his name before. He sat silently as he looked upon the French countryside, now bathed in darkness. It was almost 1.30 in the morning. No one spoke. In the morning, he would finally see Paris. It was the culmination of a dream, the mecca for every artist. Somehow, After all of this, he still felt like an artist, despite the political responsibilities resting on his shoulders. He was no longer the outsider looking in. He was at the top. Yet he knew that many of them still looked upon him with content in their eyes. Their looks, their intonations, their expressions made him aware that he did not fit. He knew they resented his leadership. He exposed their prejudices brought to the surface everything that they despised. He was a foreigner, not born into privilege like them. He did not speak with their clipped, refined accents. They played by the book, followed tradition, and valued cool efficiency. He, on the other hand, stayed up late, hated paperwork, and was bad with details. He was emotive and unconventional when they went home to their neat houses in the suburbs with their perfect families. He, in contrast, lived the bohemian bachelor's life. While they were falling asleep next to their respectable wives in their respectable homes, he was up half the night, engrossed in music, watching films, and talking art. That is why he kept them at a distance, surrounding himself with friends and workmates who were different. He preferred spending time with artists and visionaries rather than bureaucrats. He was more at home with animals, out in nature, with ordinary people, 
away from their backbiting. He was not interested in maintaining the status quo. Instead, he dreamed of creating a future for others. He understood that through harnessing the potential that the new media brought, he could change things, allow people to live communal, authentic lives connected to the land. You must think now. Still no one spoke. In the distance, there was the dull music of a thunderstorm. They arrived at Paris at five in the morning in an early flight. They had one day to see all they could. He was flanked by two friends, one an architect and one a sculptor. They flew around Paris in a car, drinking in the feast of art and architecture. They traveled down the Champs-Élysées, onto the Trocadero, and then to the Eiffel Tower. He became elated at the beauty of the operas. Although he had never seen Garnier's masterpiece, he knew every square inch of the building off by heart. He was in a creative's heaven. An artistic tour of Paris could not miss the bohemian neighborhood of Montmartre. Here the creative leader and his friends visited the basilisk Sacre-Cœur. I think I have it. <laughs> Atop the church high above Paris was the statue of St. Michael, dressed as a knight battling the biblical monster Leviathan, a metaphor for the battles that would come to define the creative leader's life and the entire trajectory of Western culture. Later that night, when he was alone with his friend, the architect, he said, wasn't Paris beautiful? In the past, I've often considered whether we should not have to destroy Paris. Adolf Hitler then went to bed. <laughs> Adolf Hitler. <laughs> I got goosebumps, I don't know why. <laughs> Who had it right? Some of you, okay. <laughs> well done. <laughs> so here's the thing about Adolf Hitler. You know, when you think about Adolf Hitler, my wife and I, I know that was a long thing to read now, my wife and I watched a, a movie the other evening, it was brilliant, I'll give you the name afterwards, because I'm just trying to think if there was something dodgy, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so, but it was about Adolf Hitler, and my wife loves it. She loves, she loves um, uh, uh, movies and documentaries about World War II to see the history of what happened there because it, it was one of the most terrifying and destructive times in human history where millions of people were killed, especially millions of Jews were killed. And it was, it was many of it had to do with one man, this guy called Adolf Hitler, who stood up and he spoke as a strong leader. If you look at those films, he's the shouting guy. He's the strong leader with a strong opinion, making absolute claims, pronouncing truth, making as if he knows everything. And I want to say to you, I want to actually subject to you tonight that I think because of this man, because of the way that he's influenced the world from the time that he lived and died and the effect that that has had on the psyche of human beings, I believe that you sitting here, you have been affected by Adolf Hitler. We don't know it. See, you don't know. The way that you think is just the way that you think. You don't know why you think the way you think. Why some things had crept into your mind. And I want to say, I think the world, at that stage, there was these, I don't want to go into detail, but at that stage, they were, they were in a, a part of history called the Enlightenment, where it was all about understanding and, and reasoning things out. And, and because of his life and because of what he did, the Enlightenment started coming to an end. People did not want to rely on facts anymore but it went more towards feeling because the man who said that he had the facts was wrong. The man who said he knew the truth and he spoke to people to say, come in line with the truth. He was exposed as a liar 
And from there on, I think into our psyches came a little bit of a thing that says, hmm, surely you can't know the truth. Surely when a leader stands up or when someone claims absolute truth and they stand up and they speak directly, surely I should go test it first. And it's not wrong. It's not wrong. It was abused there. But I want to subject to you actually that there is a thing like absolute truth. There is a thing like truth. There is a thing where we need to be open to facts actually. And the Bible gives us those things. And we've fallen into a pluralistic, a postmodern era. My title, if you can put it back up there, it's, I said, uh, how not to judge church in a postmodern era. Postmodernity says, you have your opinion and I have my opinion, and let's just each have our opinion. It's okay. Here's, here's a way it's crept into our culture. I just Googled this beforehand. And I, it feels like I take on this topic a lot. It's not that I want to take on this topic a lot. But I want you to see how it's crept into our culture. Did you know that there are 68 terms that describe gender identity and expression? So there are 68 genders that you can be, actually. Not man and female only. Those are biological facts. It depends on your chromosomes, right? But there are, can I read you some of them quickly? You can be, let me just say, so again, hear what I'm going now. We are in a society where no one can say there are only two genders. That's not right. People don't like that type of thing. People rather say, but no, man, everyone is entitled to their opinion. Everyone is entitled to live the way that they want to live. And we shy away from someone being direct. And that's why I think we don't like it when people speak to us. Like, we coexist, right? You can be AFAB, meaning assigned female at birth. You can be agender. You can be aliagender. You can be AMAB, assigned male at birth. You can be androgen. You can be aperogender, you can be bigender, you can have, be binarist, you can have body dysmorphia, you can be a boy, B-O-I, you can be butch, you can be cisgender, you can be cishay, cishit, sorry, <laughs> means you are cisgender and heterosexual, you can be cisnormative, you can be cissexist, you can be a demi-boy, you can be demigender, you can be a demigirl, you can be a diadic, you can be a feminine of center, you can be a feminine presenting, you can be a femme, you can be femme to, to male, FTM, you can be gender apathetic, you can be gender binary, you can, be gender, you can have gender dysphoria, you can have gender expansive, you can be, there's gender expressive, oh man, wait, wait, I've gone off cue here. You can be a gender nonconformist. Anyway, you get the point, right. <laughs> this is the world that we're living in, and, and Listen, I'm not saying that there aren't people who struggle and people who have emotions that are really difficult. Like, I, we, I want to walk with those people. I want to say, please, if any of these things, if you are confused about your sexuality, sure, we speak about those things. We, we look at the Bible. We love you. Like, no one needs to be perfect. That's not what I'm speaking about. I just want you to see how it's crept into our society where people shy away from facts. People shy away from facts. And then when we try and speak into one another's lives, the voice and the, the image of Hitler comes to mind in a sense, saying, but who are you to know? Who are you to say? But actually, I believe that, uh, that we shouldn't be like that. Here's what Jesus said, John 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, meaning not a way, I am the way. You know, we live in a society where you're not allowed to say that Jesus is the way to the Father. Jesus said, I am the way 
to the Father. And the truth, meaning there is no other truth besides me. I am the truth and the life, meaning no other, you can find no life besides in Jesus. No one comes to the Father except through me. No other religion actually comes to God except through Jesus. That's what Jesus said. That's not what I'm saying. Are you with me? Jesus isn't like that. Jesus is saying there is something like truth. Here's what the Bible says about the Bible. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God, meaning it's the words of God. This God who is the way, the truth, the life. We have His words in written form in the Bible. And it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The Bible teaches us that we have a book full of truth that is able to confront us. But if we allow postmodernism to come into us, all we will say is, ah, oh, but I've got my way. I've got my truth and you've got your truth. No, no, no. There is the truth. And we should be a people to say, if I find the truth, I will change. I'm not going to hide and say, but that's just your truth. The truth lets me change. You know, the irony of the whole my truth, your truth thing is people say there's no such thing as absolute truth, but they're making an absolute statement when they say that. <laughs> It just does not make sense, actually. There is something like truth. Now, what do we do with this info? Firstly, we recognize that we live in a society that has taught us that people can't speak into your life because who are they to speak into your life? Firstly, recognize it. Recognize that there is a bend in you that won't necessarily allow people in because how, how can they? I'm my own person, right? Firstly, recognize that. Secondly, realize that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He wants to come, and He wants to speak into your life, and He wants you to change because He knows that that's going to make you look more like Him. And then He's given us the Word, and He's given all of us the Word, and He's given us truth in the Bible, and He said, I'm giving you this so that you can help one another become more like me. Are you following me? I don't know. That does not seem convincing. <laughs> I hope you're following me. So we should say, God, my bend is not this, but God, please, through your word, through Jesus, through Christians who understand Jesus, follow him and follow your Bible. Please speak into my life because I want to change according to your truth. Open. Open yourself up. Say, God, please speak into my life. If there's sin, please, God. I want to read you a portion of Scripture. I want to show you how the lens of our culture has distorted the way that we read the Bible. And there's two truths in this scripture. John 8, verse 3 to 11. This is a portion of scripture that all of you would know. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, to Jesus, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? Trying to catch Jesus out. This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. We don't know what he wrote. Many people say they think that Jesus wrote the names of the people or the sin of the people who brought this sin accusation against this woman who was caught, but we don't actually know. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let the one who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, that is completely true. We are not to be those people who throw stones at others and just say, you are wrong, you are wrong, and you are wrong, and I am right, because we all have our sin, right? 
That is a truth that Jesus is trying to teach us. But I want to submit to you that our society stops there. They said, I can't throw stones at you. We can't throw stones at one another because you've got stones. Who are you to speak into my life when you've got sin of your own? That's the society. But that's only half of the truth. Let's see how Jesus takes this thing further. He takes away the condemnation. He says, don't throw stones. But look at this. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. I think when you're older, you just know the sin that's in you. (laughs) When you're young, you think you're perfect. You think you don't have problems. When you're old, you realize how many problems and what gunk is still in you. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Now listen to this. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Now and uh, go, and from now on, sin no more. We are not a judgmental people, but we are not a people that do not stop sinning. We love people in their sin, but we don't want people to stay in their sin. We do not cast judgment because we know that I am also wrong in the sight of God. I also have my own things. But at the same time, from a non-judgmental place, we come in and we know that God wants to bring people out of sin. We are not a stone-throwing people, but we are not a, a changeless people, actually. Both of these things are true. Our society says, don't throw stones. Jesus says, yes, don't throw stones, but stop sinning. <laughs> and we ought to be those people that help us, help one another out of sin. So I want to look at three things. Firstly, I want to say that we are called to judge one another. We're going to define what judgment means. Secondly, we are called to receive judgment, and we need to be open to receive judgment. And finally, I will look at the fact that we do these things because we know that one day God will judge. And I'd rather have you judging me than God judging me. I'd rather have you speak into my life and I change rather than God saying, I gave you opportunity. Why did you not change? So firstly, we are called to give judgment. Now, if you are astute, uh, you would say, but doesn't the Bible say that we are not to judge? Yes, you are right, sort of. (laughs) Matthew 7, verse 1 to 6. Judge not that you be not judged. For the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Just stop there for a moment. This passage clearly tells us not to judge. But didn't we read in the beginning of the sermon that we are to judge those inside the church? You remember that? So what's happening here? Is Scripture contradicting itself? No, there are tensions in Scripture. We need to learn how to read Scripture properly. When there's something in Scripture that you do not understand that seems like it's contradictory, there's one of the first basic uh, rules that we use in Bible interpretation. You say, Scripture interprets Scripture. So you don't go to a commentary, you don't go other places, you say, let Scripture interpret Scripture, meaning look at what the rest of the Bible says about this passage, and then the other thing is look at the context of that passage to understand what that passage really means. So we need to understand what does this really mean, because people hang on to this. The society we live in, you know, they stop here, only God can judge me, don't judge me, bro. (laughs) We stop here, but that's not the context, and it's not what the full Bible tells us. So look at what the full Bible tells us. Let's read the rest of the context. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? 
Meaning there is something in your brother's eye, but there's something bigger maybe in your eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. What Jesus is addressing when he speaks about not judging is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when I elevate myself above you and I think that I'm better than you and I put rules on, your, on you that I do not even put on myself. I show less grace for you than I show for myself. That is hypocrisy. Jesus is saying when you judge, do not judge in a hypocritical way, but judge it with humility. Do not elevate yourself. Come humbly knowing that you are also a sinner. That's what he means when he says do not judge. So he says, you hypocrites, first, he's going to tell us how to judge now. Just say do not judge, but now he's going to tell you how to judge when you judge. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So Jesus is not saying that we are not to take things out of one another's eye. What is he saying? He's saying first take it out of your eye. Don't come with a holier-than-thou attitude. Don't come and say, I am the bearer of truth and you better turn to the truth. That is not the way that we are to judge one another. The way that we are to judge one another is to say, God, I don't even want to speak to someone else because I'm aware of all the things that are in me. I'm aware of the sin that I'm carrying. And when I speak to someone, Lord, firstly, I'm going to repent of my sin. Firstly, I'm going to first say, Lord, I'm aware that my sin is probably bigger than that person's sin. What did Paul say? He said, uh, the exact words I can't, cannot remember, but he basically said that he was the chief of all sinners. And you know what's interesting about that portion? He says, this is a trustworthy statement that all of us should take hold of. He wasn't actually saying that about himself. He was saying all of us should say that about ourselves. Your attitude should be, Lord, I am the chief of sinners. Lord, I am the worst sinner out there. I feel like that many times. Because when I come into the presence of God, yes, I feel his love and I feel his acceptance, but I also know how unworthy I am. I also know what's still in me and how I displease him and how I, I just should love him better, but I don't love him enough. I know, and I want to have that same attitude of Paul and say, God, I am the chief of sinners. And when I go to someone, when I speak into someone's life, I have such a humble attitude. I want to have such an humble attitude to say, man, I've got my own stuff, but I'm laying it down. I'm giving it to Jesus. I'm doing everything I can. But please, can I help you take the speck out of your eye? It's not to make me look better. It's to help you see, clear, see clearer. That's what we do. And we have an obligation. Listen, if there's a splinter, you know, woman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my wife is here. It's the first time she's come to the six o'clock meeting because uh, my, mother, my mother is visiting and so she's looking after the babies. Carla took them home and came back for the six o'clock service. It's nice to have you here, Carlaiki. <laughs> it's really nice because she can always only be at the 4 p.m. service. But, you know, my wife is not like this, but all other women. <laughs> if there's a problem, if there's a problem... It's like us men, we want to fix the problem. It's like you tell me about your problem. I know the solution. Can I just help you with the solution? Women don't want that. They want to tell you about their problem. But they don't want you to give them a solution. If you give them a solution, you're not listening to their problem properly. <laughs> All they want is to say, oh, I see your problem. So women are like this. If there's a speck in the eye, if there's like something there, you can't be like, yes, yes, I hear what you're saying. Let me just help you. They're like, no, stop it. You're not listening to what I'm saying. And you, 
I'm just kidding. Actually, all of us are like that. <laughs> and we shouldn't be like that, actually. You know, we, we are to say, man, if there's a speck in your eye, I want to lovingly help, it re- help you remove it, but I come with a posture of humility. Can I submit to you that it is your responsibility when you see sin in someone around you, when you see something in your friends and in the people in the church, in Christians, that you know is keeping them away from God, it is your responsibility to speak to them. But it's your responsibility to first get before God, first come before God humbly, first take the log out of your eye, and then say, God, help me to take the speck out of my brother's eye. Does that make sense? If you leave your brother, you leave your sister in sin, we're missing what God has called us to do. Matthew 18, verse 15 to 17, I'm going too long. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. It cannot be clearer than that. We are called to tell one another when they sin against us. Between you and him alone, that is how the Bible teaches us to do it. We don't go and tell it to other people, we tell it to the friend. If you tell it to other people, that is gossip. Even if you say, please help me pray for my friend, let me tell you what to pray for. It's still gossip. Henry said it well. He said, you're just cloaking it in spirituality, actually. It's still gossip. You don't do that. We go to one another because in the end, it's not to make me feel better. It's to help you. Do it with love. So I go to you alone. I don't speak about it. Don't ask other people to pray. I don't ask for perspective from other people. I go to you, but I go with the Bible. I hide behind the Bible. I say, I humbly submit this to you, but there's something in your life that I see is not in line with Scripture. Not my opinion, not my opinion, but the, the truth of the Bible. If he does not, uh, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. How beautiful. We can gain people that could be lost. We can gain if we do this. You know, there might be people who are not in the church anymore, who are not following God anymore because we did not obey the Scripture. Have you ever thought about that? People around us who are not following the Lord anymore because we had to speak and we didn't. Come on, we have to speak to one another. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So if the person doesn't listen, then take another friend with and say, please, for that person's sake, let's go speak. If he refuses to listen, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to even listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Meaning there are these steps that we follow, but in the end, the heart is that we would let that person stay with God. Keep following God. That is the heart. Secondly, we are to give it, but we are also to receive judgment. And that is a posture of the heart. I want to ask you to open up your heart to judgment of other people. And I want to tell you one thing now, so that you're not surprised. It's never going to be said as nicely as you want it to be said. You are always going to think, yeah, they could have approached that better. <laughs> yeah, they could have loved me more. But that's not the point. Can I tell you a quick story? You, I'm, I'm enjoying preaching now, so we can go longer, so it's fine. <laughs> a while ago, one of the elders, and I'm sort of giving you some detail into our eldership team, one of the, uh, a couple on the eldership team, we had a conversation, I sort of followed up. I felt like there was a bit of distance between us and I. The Bible teaches that we are to fight for unity in the church. And so I went to them, I said, it just feels like something isn't right here. And eventually after a long conversation, they said, you know what, sometimes when you lead, it feels like you lead well up and down, but you don't lead well in a team. Meaning you ask perspective from Andrew and from Russell and those guys, and you are good with giving other people instructions, but I don't, we don't always feel as included in the decisions you make for the church. 
And I said, oh, that's, that's not great to hear. I hear you. I'm going to change because I want to change. They were speaking into my life, and I want to change. That was fine to hear. Then I walk into a meeting with a couple of, like, the big shot elders in Josh Chen. I don't know what I was doing there, but I was invited. So I'm like, cool, I'm going to sit here and listen. <laughs> it's going to be good. So I'm with these older elders and these seasoned elders in Josh Chen, and um, Andrew goes around the room, and he starts speaking about everyone. Long story of why he did that. And he stops at me, and he speaks about, he says, I just saw Leonard, and he says a few nice things about me. You know, it's always like that. If there's nice things, there's something coming. <laughs> he just... <laughs> You know, he says, Leonard, I've heard, this is like a day or two after this eldership couple spoke to me. He said, Leonard, I've heard that you lead well up and down, but you don't lead well in a team. You know, that wasn't so nice to hear. Because I'm like, why did they not speak to me? Why did, how did this info get to Andrew? It's like two days later, surely I said to them, I'm going to change. I saw it. It's not the way that I would have wanted this info to come to me. But you know what? I've learned that that is not the point. How it comes is not the point. That it comes and that it's through God. I'm like, cool, I, I need to change. So this is like confirmation. I can either harden my heart and say, why are you doing it that way? Why did you go speak to Andrew? Why didn't you come to me? Why are you doing these things? But if I do that, I forget that God is doing this. So when someone comes and speaks to you, don't do this. Don't say, why are you doing it like this? Don't say, you don't love all of those things. Maybe they don't. That's not the point. The point is, can you hear the voice of God in their voice? Can you hear the finger of God coming onto your heart, whether it comes in a nice way or not such a nice way? We should do it in a nice way, but it doesn't always. I'm not going to read this, but you can go read in Galatians 2. Paul uh, addressed Peter in not such a nice way, basically called him out in front of everyone, but Peter shifted. Peter didn't go like this, Paul, why did you? He said, oh, you're right. This is what Paul did. This is the example. Paul did that. He spoke in a harsh way because sometimes people need to be spoken to in a harsh way. They're really not listening. But maybe let the leaders do, do that. Don't you feel like you have to take that upon yourself? <laughs> but Galatians 2, this is, this is how Paul, he could do this because he lived it. He was open to receiving input from others. Galatians 2 verse 1 to 2, then after 14 years, he'd been ministering for 14 years, preaching the gospel. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. I mean, this guy was a big hitter if there ever was one. I went again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation, God spoke to him to do this, and said before them, he's speaking about the apostles, he went before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles. So just some context. He had a gospel that he was proclaiming for 14 years. He said that the Gentiles can get saved. He had this gospel. He called it my gospel. God revealed it to him. The Bible teaches us that Jesus himself taught Paul this gospel. I mean, I would be quite certain of it if I feel like Jesus taught me this. Eh? It's not from a book Jesus taught me. 14 years he does that. God speaks to him. God says, I want you to take what I've given you, the revelation I've given you, submit it before these men, men who seem influential. And he says, I did that. Because God asked me to do that in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. That is a big moment. Paul is humble enough to say, I bring it before those people to make sure that I have not run in vain. Paul was open for correction. Paul said, here's my life. Please speak into my life. When last have you done that? When last have you gone to the people who really know you? The people in your community, the leaders around you? 
and said, is there anything in my life that does not reflect Jesus? Please, I want to make sure. Paul did it. You should do it too. When last have you sat with your parents, if they're Christians, or your children, and said, is there anything in me that does not reflect Jesus properly? Please speak into my life. We ought to be those people that invite the judgment of God in a good way. I also think of Apollos with Priscilla and Aquila, those who were at the conference. Priscilla and Aquila went to Apollos and showed him the way of God more accurately, and he changed. And he, he ran more accurately and better for God because he was open. Open yourself up. Final scripture, then we're going to stand. Hebrews 9 verse 27. This is the last point. We do this because one day God will judge. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, meaning you will die. Sorry to break the news to you. <laughs> you will die. Some of you will die sooner than later. Some of you will die before you at the age of 30. Just let that sink in. Some people in this room, I, if I had to take a wager, would say would die. Well, there will be, I don't I'm not prophesying it. I'm just saying statistically. Because <laughs> we always think we're going to live until old age. You don't know what's going to happen to you. We don't know what's going to happen to us. But all of us, have. there's been a day appointed that you will stand before the judgment seat of God. You're appointed to die once, and after that judgment comes, all of you will die. I will die, and when I die, the Bible teaches, I will stand before the judgment seat of God. And he will look at my life, and he will see all the opportunities he gave me, and he will look at how much I reflected Jesus on this earth. And with love, yes, but with judgment, he will speak to me. And I want to stand in that day, and I want, to, I want to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Man, I want to hear it with all my heart, well done, my good and faithful servant. I don't want to hear, why did you sit with this sin for your life long? Why did you not deal with it? Why did you allow your sin to pull others into sin? I don't want to hear those things. I want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. So I want to take this life. I want to open up judgment. I want to say if there's anything in my life that does not reflect Jesus properly, and there are things, please speak to me. I want to change. I want to be more like my Savior. And we should all have that heart. God will judge, but let the judgment first come in the house of God in a humble way. Let's speak into one another's lives. Okay, let's stand. Yeah, maybe, um, I don't even know how to, to end it. Um, I'll, I'll give over to James in a moment just to maybe pray for us or whatever. We don't have to make it a long ending. But, um, you know, the, the, the reality is that we will stand before God one day. And he will judge the things that we've done. He'll, he'll judge the things that he's given to us. But actually, the first judgment that we will face is the judgment of salvation. Were you saved? Were you saved? Because Jesus has given all of us an opportunity to be saved. And if you haven't had it before, tonight he's giving you an opportunity to be saved. He's saying, I, I heard this the other day, I thought it was brilliant. The only thing that you have to contribute to your salvation is your sin. <laughs> it's the only thing that you have to contribute is you give your sin to God. You can contribute nothing else. You just give your life and your sin to God and say, please take it. Tonight he's giving you an opportunity to do that. And you will stand before him one day and answer what you, what you did this night. Whether you said, no, I want to live my life, or whether you said, God, I will lay down my life to follow you. I want salvation. Can we close our eyes?
If there's anyone that wants to give their life to Jesus tonight, that wants to make right with Him, you know, it's important that you take that first step, that you just raise your hand tonight and say, I want to give my life to Him. He loved me by dying on a cross for me. I want to live for Him. Thank you. I see there's a hand up. If one of the leaders, um, Hendra, can maybe just go pray there. Is there anyone else that wants to give their life to Jesus, that wants to make right with Him tonight? Anyone else? So they're at the back. Okay, fantastic. Fantastic. Let's, um, let's all pray together. Let's pray this prayer together. They're going to pray it for the first time. There's a, a guy and a, and a lady. How beautiful, eh? Whoa. It's like God does that. <laughs> like this is beautiful. The people standing around you will pray with you off just as we end as well and maybe get your number so we can follow up with you. But can we pray a prayer together? Because we need to keep giving our life to God, eh? <laughs> But for them, this will maybe be the first time where they say, God, forgive me. So let's, let's all pray together in solidarity with them even. Jesus Christ, thank you for dying on a cross for my sin. And thank you that you are still praying for me, that you are still reaching out to me, and that you brought me here tonight. Lord, I'm so sorry for the times that I've just lived my own life, that I've forgotten about you, that I've done my own thing. Please forgive me. Please make me a new creation. Please give me salvation. Lord, I want to follow you. I want to give my life to you, my thoughts to you, my actions to you, my friendships to you, my finances to you. I want to give you everything. I love you, God. Amen. Amen. Maybe you can just pray with them quickly um, while we end. I'm just going to ask James, maybe just to give us a, just pray for us as we end, just in response to invite God to speak into our lives, and then we're going to end, yeah. I'd love to do that. I was thinking of different groups and stuff of us, but I think Almost as a, as a blanket response for all of us, I think each week what's happening here is God is sowing seeds into you. And it's almost like if you're baking bread, well, you don't put seeds in bread. You could if you want. But if you put yeast into bread, what you do is you work it out. You roll it. You throw it down. You work it in so it spreads throughout. And the, the messages that are shared here cannot each week just be almost like a shooting star. That's what we said at the conference. You've got to take, if you want to be faithful, like we said, stewards, take tonight, get alone with God and say, Lord, where is there judgment in my heart? For some of us, it might even be our own parents. We might see decisions and stuff our parents have made, and we try to be all polite and stuff when we're with them, but we know God sees our hearts and there's a lot of judgment there. It might be our friends, it might, just, it might be you even as a Christian judging unbelievers. And you see even your past friends or you see people around here and you're not praying and thinking about them the way Jesus would. You're almost condemning them. And almost like that, I don't know if we put that scripture up, but it's the one where the Pharisees in the temple saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like Mornay over there. Thank you that I'm me. And that needs to be sifted out of our hearts if we have that. God's not going to entrust things to us. So can I pray for us? Father, I... 
I'm so aware, Lord, for myself, for the rest of us, that when you bring your commands, when you bring, sometimes it's a demand you place on us that I will not let you as my people live this way. That firstly just reveals our hearts. Lord, we, we'll, some of us will be standing here tonight feeling like my heart has been laid bare and God sees it. People might see all these nice, neat edges around me, but God sees every intention of my heart. And Lord, I pray in that place tonight, we would just out of weakness and need, just turn to you and say the very thing you require of us, Lord, you must provide it. This love we need for each other, this grace to handle one another, please, Lord, would you supply it to us. In Jesus' name, we ask for this, God. We, we're not going to walk out of here tonight and say, okay, cool, I'm just going to go try do this myself. In the same way we started this journey, looking to you, we're going to continue. And I specifically even felt to pray for those tonight who are afraid of confrontation, that there's a fear in you that is not godly, that God wants to get rid of, that you maybe, I bet you, cannot even remember the last time you spoke to someone and confronted them, because it seems like the most scary, risky thing you could ever do. And tonight, if that's you, just lift your hands to receive next to you and just respond. And I pray, Lord, that that fear would be broken in Jesus' name. It looks like shyness, it looks almost just nice, but it's not of you. Because you say we're called to speak the truth in love and to build each other up and to actually know that you're the one who has justified and accepted us. So regardless of what people say about us, that is not our measuring stick. So I just pray that you would secure people in what God has said about me stands. Therefore, I can be accepted and I can be rejected. And that doesn't matter. So I pray for that. I pray for fear out of our hearts. And I pray that we would look at each other and not be so self-focused. But even this week, may we open ourselves up to one another and almost drop our sword and our armor that we're trying to protect ourselves with and say, Jesus, would you speak through my brothers and sisters? Show me blind spots that I know are going to be Aina. I know I'm going to respond to these things, but I need to see them because I cannot do this alone. So I, I encourage you, as we close this meeting now, take the seed and the word that is sown and be a good steward of it, because you will change. Get alone with him. Speak to some trusted friends or leaders in your life and say, this is really hard, but what do you see? <laughs> and then kind of just cringe and wait. <laughs> we, can, we can trust each other. We're going to do this in love. We don't say these things to break down a person. We're saying it to build up. So even if you're pointing out a flaw, what you think is an issue in the person, you're doing this because I want to build you up. Okay. Amen. Amen. Sorry, that was like a preach. But bless you. Yeah. <laughs>